I uh, greet you in the name of the Lord this morning. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it is an honor and a privilege to proclaim the word of God this morning. And I come to you from a congregation of two from Haven Baptist Fellowship Hall. And as you know, we are in Advent season. In the first Advent, Jesus brought us good tidings in four areas. In the area of hope, love, joy, and peace. Advent is a Latin term that means coming or arrival. And as you're aware, in Jesus' first coming, Jesus was the suffering servant. In his second coming, Jesus will be the conquering king. Amen. And in his first coming, Jesus arrived in the most humble of circumstances, in a manger, which was his bed. In his second coming, Jesus will arrive with the armies of heaven at his side. And I will be happy to say to you, we will be with him. Amen. Believe it or not. Because once the church is rapture, Jesus' feet does not touch the ground. We go back to heaven, engage in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the second coming, we as the church will come back with him and rule and reign in Jerusalem with him. So we ought to be praying daily for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So with that said, in light of the Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as well as the hymn that Francis just sung for us, those two hymns represent the cry of the Church of Jesus Christ this first Advent. And those of you who are saved are living in what I call the already, the first Advent. But the not yet, the second advent. The first advent has happened. That is the already. The second advent has yet to take place. And that is the not yet that we all look forward to. And I'm going to do something different this morning than I normally would do. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me in prayer this morning. Would you stand this morning? Now let us pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, realizing and understanding, Lord, that you are holy. And you are holy, holy, holy. Amen. Heaven and earth, Lord, is full of your glory. And blessed are you, O Lord, our King of the universe. And we thank you for your great theme of Advent. Father, we know without a doubt that the giving of gift is not something man invented, but it was you who began the giving spree. For your word clearly states, for God so loved the world, and what a great love and what a great God we have, that he gave his only begotten son the greatest gift that man can receive, and whosoever believe in him should not perish what a great promise 
from our God to those who believe, but shall have eternal life. And what a great reward. And Father, we thank you this morning that you are giving us a gift beyond words, the unspeakable gift of your son, the first advent. Our Father, we come this morning praying, knowing that you are in our midst by your spirit. And you are here, Lord, this morning to dwell with us. And you are here this morning to strengthen us and to convict us, to teach us, and to comfort us, as well as, Lord, to heal us. And, Lord, we thank you, O Father, this morning, especially for our brothers and sisters who are aching this morning, whose heart break this morning, who pass through deep waters, who are taking care of loved ones, they are watching their bodies give out. And right now, Father, we ask that you grant peace, Lord, to the victim of the storm this weekend. And we ask you, O oh God, to continue to extend your hand of compassion and mercy into those areas of destruction, Lord, where peoples have been injury. And thanks be to God for you rescuing many, Lord, from the storm. And Lord, right this very moment, we pray there, Lord, that your power be seen in the midst of the chaos and many see your grace, Lord, in the midst of their despair. And Father, in the midst of our aches and pain, you are so good to us. Therefore, Lord, our God, we cast ourselves upon you and upon your holy word. And now, Lord, bless us as we open the word, as we open the sweet fruit of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we ask you, O oh God, to fill us with joy, urging the Philippian church as well as us, Lord, on to holiness and righteousness. And right now, Lord, we say, hear our prayer, O Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And you may be seated. And why I ask you to stand with me in prayer is for the simple reason I realize, if you kind of notice in your bulletin, I had made a commitment to speak from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Um, I don't think I'm going to do that this morning. And by virtue of that, I don't have a particular verse that I'm going to speak from, and that's one reason why I ask you to stand with me in prayer. But what I'm going to do is this, is something that perhaps angels would not thread to do, but I'm going to speak from all four of those chapters this morning in the book of Philippians. And I believe I can do that this morning by maintaining scripture integrity by virtue of a conversation that I heard between two individuals in the fellowship hall. And they were discussing biblical context and biblical content one Sunday. And out of that conversation that I walked into, hearing those two individuals discuss, they convinced me uh, that I could teach or preach from the book of Philippians and preach all four chapters and maintain scripture integrity. And, and that's what I'm going to do this morning. And I just asked those two individuals to, to pray for me, for convincing me to do such a thing. Now, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. And as I said earlier, 
we are going to look at all four of those chapters in terms of the Advent hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And something I kind of noticed, some writers will say has come, which put the emphasis on the action of coming. But the Lord is come. Put the emphasis on the state of having come. The Lord just didn't just come. The Lord is here this very moment. Amen. This very moment, he is here. And we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. Just what joy has Jesus brought to us the first advent. And that's what I want to show us in these four chapters. Just exactly what Jesus brought to us the first advent. So I just ask you to be patient with me this morning as I traverse these four chapters. And as you know, both Sunday school class, the men's as well as the women, have looked at these four chapters already. And perhaps I could dismiss them. But I'm not going to do that for the simple reason they might just miss something they haven't seen in the discussion of these four chapters in their Sunday school lesson. So as you know, this letter is full of joy. And you can sum up the book of Philippians in two phrases. I rejoice, you rejoice. I rejoice, so you rejoice too. That's the summation of the book of Philippians. And that's exactly what Paul is writing to the churches in his prison epistles. He's encouraging them to rejoice. So with that said, looking at Philippians chapter 1, if you recall, Jesus said it was a joy that was his to endure the cross for us the first advent. It was a joy for Jesus Christ to endure the cross for you and I the first advent. So look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, if you have your Bible. And it reads as such, I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making me prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you kind of notice, Paul had a love relationship with the Philippian church. And the Philippian church was a church that was in partnership with Paul in terms of the gospel. In fact, about it, the Philippian church really considered Paul to be their missionary. 
they are the one that sent him out and really supported him. But the thing I want you to see in those verses is in verse 5. And if you notice in verse 5, it says the first day. And the first day implies is the first day they heard the gospel, they believed. That's the implication of the first day. That they received the gospel, they believed the gospel for their salvation. Now, if you notice in verse 6, it says, you're sure, and Paul is sure that God will complete the work in them which he begun. And he's going to complete that work from justification to glorification. That's the implication of them believing the first day, and Paul is sure that God is going to complete that which he begun in them. So therefore, you see, we can sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, because Jesus Christ delivered unto us a sure salvation, his first advent. Jesus Christ delivered to you and I a guaranteed salvation, his first coming. So that's why you and I, can sing joy to the world, the Lord has ills come. The Lord is come. That ends Philippians chapter 1. Aren't you surprised that I'm not going to be exegetical going through the book of Philippians verse by verse? Now, Look with me in chapter 2. Now, I remind you, by virtue of individually putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you are placed in a spiritual family. So the implication is the Philippian church is not family. The Philippian church is a family. And so are we. So are we. And the Philippian church is bound together under one banner, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so are we at Haven Baptist. Therefore, they have become part of another family. And as I said earlier, the family that the Philippian church have entered into is a spiritual family in nature. Now look at verse 1 and 2 in that particular chapter. In, that, in those verses, we'll lay out for us what this new family really, really looks like. Verses 1 and 2. And they read as such. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That implies think the same way in purpose. Also, it's going to say, Having the same love. 
the love that has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, the Philippian church, as you and I, can love one another as well. And it's a, the same way. Being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. That implies think the same way in purpose. Having the same love. Being in full accord. Full accord implies no division or disunity among them. And a one mind. And that implies joined together with a single purpose. Now, if you notice in those verses, the word same is repeated. And that implies that the Philippian church is bound together in unity and harmony. And likewise, Haven Baptist is bound together in unity and harmony. And I think of the song sometimes that we were singing here at Haven Baptist, but I haven't heard it in a long time. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. We have been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood. Now look at with me uh, verse 3 and 4. And here in verse 3 and 4, Paul is encouraging the Philippian church how to manifest the attitude in their new family. And verse 3 reads as such. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition. And that is church life becoming all about you. Or conceit. Too much pride in your own worth. But in humility... And humility is seeing ourselves as needy sinners. And it says, count others more significant than yourself. And verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And as you are aware, by nature we are selfish people. But as you can see in verse 3 and 4, Paul is saying, Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. And we as servants of God serve others, not self. And that is how we can manifest Christ's attitude in our daily life. For you see that there is a win-win behind Christian service. And also, if you recall, those four verses is simply telling us to put off the old man and put on the new man that you identify yourself with. Now look with me at verses four, five through eight. In those particular verses, Paul is giving the church the solution to how to live in their new family. Verse five. You say, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Now, kind of notice, have the mind of Christ mean the same attitude that Christ had. It means we share Jesus' perspective of humility, obedience, compassion, and prayerfully dependency on God. That's the implication of having the mind of Jesus Christ. So, you see, we can sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, because Jesus Christ, first advent, put us in a new family. Jesus Christ, first advent, not only brought to you and I a sure, guaranteed salvation, but that sure, guaranteed salvation put you and I into a new family, and therefore, we can sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Chapter 3. Turn to me, chapter 3. Chapter 3, I begin with a few rhetorical questions. What in life you treasure the most? What do, you, what do you greatly value or highly prize? For some, it's money. For some, it's materialism. For others, power. Still others, strive for fame, fortune, or attention. Those sacred cows or idols we value. But I want to show you something this morning in Philippians chapter 3 that is far more valuable than those things. And if you notice, Paul opened chapter 3 urging the church to rejoice and also he warned them of something as well. And I want to look at both of those things. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And it reads as such. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is not trouble to you and me. And it is safe for me to do so. And then he says in verse 2, look. And now he wants to warn them about something. And he said, look out for the dogs. And in those days, in the Jewish society, Dogs was considered unclean animals. And then he said, look out for evildoers. And that is just evil works. And then he said, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And that is individuals who are advocating circumcision. So you really see that Paul is not talking about literally dogs, but he's turning the tide on, those, on some Judaizer who normally called Gentile people's dogs. Because if you recall, the, the Jews were called the Samaritan dogs due to the fact they were of a mixed race. But Paul has turned the tide on these 
Judaizer, and he is calling them dogs. And basically what he is doing is he is wanting the Philippian church to beware of false, unclean teacher. These dogs, evildoers who mutilate the flesh. So since we're aware of who Paul is talking about, the Judaizers, we know that they taught a mixture of grace and work. See, false gospel. False treasure. And that makes them false teachers offering up a false gospel which makes a false treasure they are offering. Go back to the rhetorical question, what do you value the most? What do you treasure the most? And you see that these Judaizers, they are treasuring a false gospel. Now notice verse 3. And notice what Paul says. Paul say we. And the implication of the we is Paul and the Philippian church. This is what he's saying. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So you see what Paul is doing there. He is contrasting false teacher with followers of Jesus Christ. And what he is saying is, we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision of the heart and not of the flesh. And notice the three major characteristics that he utilized in identifying a true Christian who possess a true treasure. First of all, they worship by the spirit of the living God. So they are relating to God by God's standard, in spirit and in truth. They boast only in Christ Jesus. They are taking pride only in Jesus Christ, which is their highest treasure. And they do not put any confidence in the flesh. They are looking strictly to Jesus Christ to save them. And we all know that a false treasure gives you a false sense of confidence. And that's why Paul is saying we put no confidence in the flesh. Only the work of Jesus Christ. Now look with me at verse 4. Now notice what Paul is saying here now in verse 4. Paul says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, so you really see there, if anyone can put confidence in their flesh, this is the Apostle Paul. If anyone can put confidence in their flesh, it's Paul. Because we're going to see some hereditary traits as well as some accomplishment that Paul will cite to indicate 
He did so once upon a time, put confidence in his flesh. So look with me at verse 5 and 6. And notice what he says here. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Now he is enumerating some things that he can put his confidence in, but he does not. Circumcised on the eighth day, all the people of Israel, that's by birth, all the tribe of Benjamin, he had let you know that he come from a very, very good tribe. In fact, about it, the first king of Israel came from that particular tribe. And Saul got his old name, Saul, from the first king of Israel. So he letting you know that I have some very, very good genes that I could put my confidence in, but I do not. And he say a Hebrew of Hebrews. He grew up with all Hebrew customs. As to the law, he say a Pharisee, which indicates that Paul had very, very good theology. And that's something that we always talked about in our Sunday school class. He knew the Old Testament. And he said, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. So you see the thing that Paul are citing to indicate if anyone could put confidence in their flesh, it is he. It is he. And you think about this. Here's a man that's writing a letter and wrote several of them from prison. And if he did put confidence in the flesh, he wouldn't survive that situation in prison. But he's putting and banking his whole life on the promise of God while in prison. That's what he's doing. Not in his flesh. Now look with me at verse 7 and 8. Now what you're going to see in verse 7 and 8 is this. Paul is evaluating his former life. In verse 7 and 8, that's what he's doing. Now notice how he evaluates his former life. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value, and that's worth, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Question. Do you count everything lost from the old man to gain that sure salvation in Christ Jesus? Or is Christ just an additional add-on to your life? You see, Paul's hereditary traits he was claiming in the past, and you see all of Paul's accomplishment he was claiming in the past, all of those things he count loss for the sake of 
gaining Jesus Christ. And we can count everything lost, present and the future, when we really see just how valuable Jesus Christ really, really is. Now, what I want you to see in verse 8 is Paul is going to cite two aspirations for his new treasure. And the first aspiration is this, gaining Christ and to be found in him. And we can kind of see gaining Christ in the latter part of verse 8. And if you look back at the end of verse 8, we get gaining Christ. And if you see the beginning of verse 9, and be found in him. And the implication of that is when Paul stands before God, Jesus Christ, that day, he wants to be found in him. Not a goat. He wants to be a sheep found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And also, if you notice, uh, Paul's second aspiration is this in verse 9, the rest of verse 9. That is, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not from a work-based salvation of righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ, which is an imputed righteousness, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is a Christian righteousness. And we know a Christian righteousness is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That is true salvation. And if you recall, we saw in verse 1 and 2, a false treasure that the Judaizer were offering. And that can be summed up in Jesus plus something else equals salvation. This is what the Judaizer was offering. Jesus plus something else, and that something else could have been the law, the Mosaic law. It could have been circumcision, or whatever the case may be, but you see they are adding something to grace. And we just saw in verse 3, true salvation, which Paul gained by counting everything lost. And that true salvation can be summed up in Jesus plus nothing is equal to everything. Jesus plus nothing is equal to everything, and that is true salvation. So you really see that Jesus Christ, the first advent, came to bring you and I and the Philippian church a new treasure. And based upon that new treasure, we can truly sing joy to the world, the Lord is come again. And as you 
are aware, I posed several rhetorical questions at the beginning of chapter 3, and I will close likewise asking you, what do you greatly value or highly prize? What do you treasure the most in life? What is your goal in life? It is to make your name familiar or to make the name of Jesus Christ known. And that brings us to chapter 4. Chapter 4. In your bulletin, I did say I would speak from chapter 4, didn't I? So, we are there. And I thought about Advent an awful lot. We really haven't heard a whole lot about Advent. And it's due to the fact that in 2020, everything just went to the side in terms of how we do things in the church. And then when we kind of came back, you know, we just really haven't gotten back to normality. And and, and when I heard the word Advent uh, a few Sundays back from the pastor, you know, my mind started moving, and I was trying to figure out where in the world we will be December 12th, Advent. And when I look back, Advent really started November 28th, because it runs four Sundays before Christmas, and Christmas falls on a Saturday. So the, 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 if you look at it that way, the 26th is on a Sunday. So if you look at the 28th, and then you look at December the 5th, and then I was asked to preach on the 12th, and I got to thinking about Advent, and I realized I could be wrong. It's joy. <laughs> it may be peace. It may be hope, but I'm making it joy. <laughs> and I came up with that idea of joy, and I began to realize this Philippian book is all about joy. So then I say, let me see if I can find some more joy in here according to the first advent. And as I begin to look, I begin to see some things here in terms of that first advent, Jesus bringing us salvation in the first advent. In the first advent, Jesus placing us in a new family. In the first advent. In the first advent, Jesus bringing us a new treasure. The first advent. But this chapter 4 is the one that will blow you out of your chair and have you to sing that song. Let's look at chapter 4. Now, Paul is dealing with negative circumstances here in chapter 4. And I'm not really going to do chapter 4 the justice that it really deserved because as you get a little deeper and deeper in chapter 4 there, he, he really gives you a great solution in how to deal with problems and challenges in life and dangers and all this kind of stuff. But these first few verses in chapter 4, they are some great verses. But I'm going to just focus on one verse, verse 4. Now listen to this right here. Listen to this. Chapter 4. 
And we're talking about negative circumstances. Paul is going to show us how to deal with negative circumstances. Those circumstances that are so challenging in our lives that they will make us want to forsaken our salvation. But due to the circumstances, we have something to really hold us steady. And listen to this here. How in the world can a person who have experienced the following things say Philippians 4.4? And we're going to read 4.4 in a few minutes. But just for the sake, come there, just read it. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I wish someone had told me a screen was up that I could read from that. But anyway, but, but anyway, how in the world can a man say verse 4 when he had experienced what I'm going to read to you right now? Listen. Five times I have received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now, someone told me, don't do the math in public, Morris, but I know that to be 145 lashes. I see somebody back there getting their calculator out already on me, but that's okay. And they go on to say this, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, how in the world can a person write the following words? Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. Now you tell me. Okay. I done did some research. I'm going to show you. I'm going to share with you how you and I, brother, can do this. All right? Listen. Now, Paul write those words because he found one thing worth praising with his lips and his life. And I see some head nodding. And that was that new treasure. He counted Everything lost. All his gains, all his secular gains, he count lost when he found Christ, that new treasure. That's why a man who have experienced what I just read to you, that's why he can say, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. Because he has found the greatest treasure in the whole wide world that he can use his mouth and lips and life to praise God with. Also, I can throw some more things in there as well. Many, many things. Paul can sing and rejoice because God chose him for adoption. Because he have been redeemed, he can say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
That's why he can say that. Paul can write those words based on what he has experienced because of his imperishable, unspoiled, unfading, and reserved inheritance that he has in Jesus Christ that is reserved for him in heaven. That's why he can write those words. And that's exactly why we can sing, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our situation may be, we can sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. We can do that. We know that to be true because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And listen to what James tells us. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials in various kinds. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, when I look at Paul's experience, and when I look at, when I think about rejoicing, I think about going over my old joy. That's how I view and think about rejoicing. Because if you notice, the prefix re in rejoicing implies again. And what we are doing is, we are going backwards recalling what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what Paul does in prison. He realized and he focused and he concentrated on the things that God has promised him already. So he is looking backwards at what has been promised to him, realizing, understanding that it is sure that it's going to happen. I'm going to be through in a few minutes. So let's look at that particular verse. So you really see the secret of living a Christian life is consistently rejoicing always. The secret that Paul wants the Philippian church to know, and he wants us to know, the secret to living out the Christian life is consistent rejoicing always. So I ask you, what is joy? And if we look at verse 4, joy is a command. Joy is a command. And that command is... Celebration and stability because the master present is in our hearts. Paul can rejoice in prison because he realized that the master present was in his heart as he sat there in prison. And likewise, that's how we have to look at life in terms of situation and circumstances. The master present is in our heart. Okay? So it's a command. 
So biblical joy is knowing Jesus and rejoicing in him. And over and over in scripture, we see rejoicing is a command and the center of Christian life is knowing Jesus Christ. So what Paul is trying to get us to see is that in Christ, our joy is, listen to this, in Christ, our joy is the new normal. That's what Paul wants us to see. That our joy in Christ is the new normal. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's not negotiable at all. It's our new normal. This normal. Okay? So I understand, and Paul understands, we as Christians are not going to get any joy from the bad things that happen to us. But Paul is encouraging the Philippian church and us to a call of obedience and to choose a hard attitude of rejoicing that comes from the Lord, not from our circumstances. And I'm going to tell you, what he is calling the Philippian church to, as well as you and I too, it is counterculture. It's a countercultural faith. It is a radical faith. And it is a revolutionary faith in what he is calling us to in terms of rejoice in the Lord, always again, I say rejoice. I'm about to come to a close here. Look where our joy come from in verse 4. Our joy come from who? In the Lord. See, that's where it come from, in the Lord. And if you remember, Jesus said over there in the book of Hebrew that it was a joy set before him to endure the cross for us. Our joy comes from the Lord. So Jesus brought joy when he came into the world the first advent. His miracles and accomplishments brought joy to many. And it is during advent that we especially acknowledge this joy which comes again and again from Jesus Christ. So you really see our joy is not connected to our circumstances or situation, but to the person of Jesus Christ. And as you know, Jesus is the most joyful person ever walked this earth. And you and I are in him. I also kind of noticed this in verse 4. Verse 4 tells us when we should rejoice. And that is when? Always. 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 And there's a scripture you don't really kind of have, but don't turn there. But it's Romans chapter 12, uh, 12, 9 through 12. And that particular verse encourages us how to live a normal, consistent, rejoicing life always by virtue of rejoicing in hope. That's what Paul was rejoicing in, his future, his future glory. And that's what you've got to keep in view when you reach those situations that are so challenging. 
that makes you want to uproot and give up the future glory. So the eternal perspective help us to rejoice always. The eternal perspective help us to rejoice always. And as you know, the world defined hope as something they would like to happen, but God hope is something guaranteed to happen. So how do we rejoice always? How do we rejoice always? I'm going to use a secular slogan to demonstrate how we rejoice always. And you know that slogan. N-I-K-E. Nike. Says what? A little louder. Just do it. That's how you rejoice always. You just do it. You just do it because it's a what? It's a command. It's a command. Just do it. So it's a choice. We live not from the present crisis, but we are living from our future glory. That's what we're living from. So we can rejoice always because the redeemed name is written in the Lamb Book of Life. We can rejoice always knowing that all things God works for the good of those who love him. We can rejoice always because there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. So listen to these words. I just said I'm almost close, but most preachers say that and they say it again and again. But Listen to this, this, this verse here. Now, and I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you have that verse either. But Habakkuk, I forgot what ch- chapter 3, I believe it is. But anyway, listen to, listen to this verse here. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of olive fail, and the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Here is a man, Habakkuk, saying, although everything is falling apart all around me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, his eyes was on God himself. That's what he was saying. So to rejoice always is to see the hand of God in whatever is happening in your life and to remain certain of God's future salvation. So Paul understands not all trials, not all dangers, not all challenges will be great news and some will be worse than others. And I think of the people uh, in the storm. But notice what Paul said. But notice this. Again, I will say rejoice. No matter how small your problems or your troubles or situations are, Paul said rejoice in the Lord. And no matter how bad they are, 
he says, again, I say rejoice in the Lord. So we can rejoice always in the Lord because nothing can destroy our peace with God. We can rejoice always in the Lord because nothing can cripple our everlasting love. We can rejoice always in the Lord because nothing can shadow our blessed hope. We can rejoice in the Lord always because nothing can corrode our faith. We can rejoice always in the Lord because nothing can steal our eternal life. And we can rejoice in the Lord always because nothing can invade our soul. Cancer may invade our body, but cancer cannot invade our soul. So that's why we can rejoice in the Lord always. So I ask you this morning, After I close in prayer, I want you to stand and I want you to sing Joy to the World, the Lord is Come, based upon all those elements I just listed from Philippians that Jesus Christ brought to you and I uh, the first advent. So bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is easy for us to say that we trust in Jesus and yet to trust in ourselves or trust in something else or trust in Jesus plus something else. Lord God, by your mercy, don't let us do that. What a treasure you have given to us in the grace of Christ in the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for Calvary. And we thank you for an atonement in which Jesus pronounced the words, it is finished. Oh, Lord, we ask that by your grace of your Holy Spirit that Jesus would be with us and Jesus would be our greatest treasure and the very thought of him who would flood our hearts with gratitude and songs of wonder love and praise, and that his treasure, Lord, will become a life-transforming thing in us. And Lord, we ask this in no other name but Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. And all God people say, Amen.